0: What's going on, Coastal Community Church? How are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us today. And uh, man, I am excited for today as we are beginning a brand new relationship series calling Making Relationships Work. I don't know about you, but here's what I know. All of us deal with some things in our relational world. Does anybody have any friendships, some marriages, some kids? All right. All right. I got to, you all got to help me out here. Okay. This is a talk back church culture. So, so like when I ask questions, you respond. When I preach good, you respond. When I'm not preaching good, you respond even more. So maybe I'll preach good. Like I'm going to need some help here this morning. It's been a couple weeks since I've been up here. So, so let's try this again. Does anybody have some relationships out there? Okay. Okay. A few of us. Okay. Good, good, good. Because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be dealing with relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's friendships, whether it's a parent-child relationship or a child-parent relationship, whether it's family drama for your mama. We're going to get into all of that over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to learn how to, how do we make our relational world work and flow and just go the way that we all dreamed and want for it to go. But before we dive into this week, uh, everybody say next week. next week. Come on, say next week. next week. Next week is a very special Sunday at our church because next weekend is our 14-year anniversary as a church. And uh a lot of people, they know what that means because every every year on our anniversary is what we call free t-shirt weekend. And so those of you that have been like, oh man, I've always wanted one of those Coastal I Love My Church t-shirts, this is your weekend to get one of them. Next weekend, the deal is, is that you have to be here to get one. So that means you can't be out of town. It does not matter. You need to be in town. Cancel those that that, that trip for soccer. Soccer can wait. Jesus is always waiting on you and so and so we're gonna have t-shirts for everybody that attends next weekend so that means if you're watching online you need to actually physically come to church for all those in lighthouse point we'll have t-shirts over there for you guys and that also means we have t-shirts for all the kids here's the only deal kids only get t-shirts if they're actually in coastal kids Ooh, that means you're gonna have to release your children for an hour and they're gonna find out that it's way better over there than it is in here We're gonna help you get past your insecurity because they're not insecure. They actually wanna play with other kids and learn Jesus on a level that's good for them. You just are not willing to let go yet, which is why we're helping you in this relationship series going to help your parenting right there. I'm going to set some parents free right now in Jesus' name. So we can't wait for that. But I want to start off today because here's what I know is that in relationships, there is something that all of us face. It doesn't matter what our relationship is. At some point in our relational world, whether it's with our husband, whether with our wife, whether it's with a family member, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a coworker, there is going to be conflict conflicts in our relationships. There is going to be some struggle in the relationship. There is going to be some drama in the relationship. And I've learned this because I've been married for 23 years. And there is always some drama in marriage, there's drama in relationships. In fact, I was thinking about some of the things that we fight about, some of the things that we have conflict about in our home. And, and I don't know about you, but one of the big things that creates a lot of conflict in our home is toilet paper. Anybody else have some conflict over <laughs> toilet paper? There is nothing that will make your boy angrier than he'll go into the bathroom and he will use the bathroom and look over and the toilet paper roll looks like this. Come on, has that frustrated anybody else? You're like, what what can I do with this? What am I supposed to do? What's even worse is when they they take it off the roll or they take it off the little spindle thing and they leave it there like sitting there like this. It's like, hey, we just wanted to let you know you're in trouble. (laughs) Now there's, there's only two beings that are in my house. One of them is a great dame named Preacher. And last time I checked, he does not use this. And then there is another named Shayla. <laughs> Creates a lot of, there's been a lot of conflict in our house over this. Not only is there conflict over that, but then, but then with the toilet paper, when it gets put on the roll, where, where, am I over, where are my over people at? Over people, over people. Where, under people, raise your hands, under people, where are the under people at? Come on, don't be ashamed, you're under people. Okay, there you are. Raise your hands, we're gonna pray for you <laughs> that Satan would come out of your life. Because I went and looked up the patent for toilet paper and it shows over. I just solved solved a lot of issues in marriages right there. It's like over, over. How about about this one? Uh, our house, there is a constant war uh, and conflict when it comes to the thermostat. Oh, I just hit a touchy subject right there, didn't I? Because there's always somebody in the relationship that's hot. And there's always somebody in the relationship that's cold. In our house, I am the person that is always cold. Like I am wearing hoodies when it's 105 degrees outside. I don't know what the deal is. So I'll be at home. I'll be like, Shayla, it is freezing in here. And she'll be like, no, it's hot. We need to turn it down. I am wearing a winter coat with seven blankets on top of me. And she's like, we need to turn it down another three degrees. I'm like, can somebody please help a brother out here? Because somebody has got to pay that bill as well. And so there's, there's constant conflict when it comes to that. How about this one? Here, here's one that's a contention, no matter what the relational world is. Who controls the car radio? Is it the driver? Is it the passenger? If you have kids, it's your children. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. That's the correct answer right there. I know when Alexander is in the car with us, we are listening to Baby by Justin Bieber on repeat for the next seven hours. Somebody please kill me. Like why? Because he controls the radio. It creates conflict when he's not in the car. I think the driver should, that's just my opinion. But I don't, we haven't solved that one in our house yet. So we're, we're still working on that. But here's what I know. No matter what aspect of your relationships are, At some point, inevitably there will be confusion, there'll be complications, There'll be misunderstandings. There will be conflict. There will be drama when it comes to your relational world. And this is not just limited to marriages. This will happen with your friends. This will happen with your family. This will happen with your children. This will happen with your spouse. Drama just sets in. And drama happens to everybody. And drama is not actually the problem. The problem is, is how do we deal with drama? The problem isn't conflict. The problem is, is how do we actually deal with conflict? And today what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be diving into some scripture verses out of the Song of Solomon. It's not a very popular book to preach out of, but it's an Old Testament book. This written by King Solomon. He's actually writing it. It's in conjunction with his wife that this book is being written. And it's a really interesting story because chapters one and two are all about Solomon and his wife's love and love for one another. Chapter three is about their wedding. It's all about the wedding day. It's about the wedding preparation. It's about all of that stuff. Chapter four is all about the racy stuff when it comes to, it's like about the, the, their, their sexual relationship that's happening there. And then we get to chapter five and there is conflict. Which as I was reading it, I was like, this is exactly how life works. You fall in love, you're doing all this stuff. You're, you're planning for the wedding. You have an incredible wedding night and then you have conflict the next morning. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I just described every married person's life right there. And so we're gonna pick up the story which is really interesting in Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter five, starting in verse two. It says, I slept, but my heart was awake. And I don't know if you've ever been, been in bed acting like you were asleep, but you were really awake. And when you're you're laying there in bed, there are some thoughts that are running through your mind that are playing over and over and over again. And it's like, I can't believe they said this and I can't believe they did that. And can you believe what they did in this situation? And that's exactly what's happening right here. She's turning things over and over and over again. And she says, I slept, but I was awake. And then Solomon comes to the door and it says this, when I heard my lover knocking and calling. Open to me my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. This guy is spitting some game right here. He goes, my head is drenched with dew and my hair with dark, the dampness of night. Like he is trying to warm her up. He's like, man, I've been out here for a while and I'm knocking on the door. Let me in, let's, let's resolve what's going on. And listen to what she says. It says, but I responded, I've taken off my robe. That's how I think she responded. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? Basically, she's like, you ain't coming in here, boy. Don't even think about it. I've taken off my robe. I've washed my feet. And there ain't no way you're about to get up and in here tonight. Like, I'm not even getting up to open the door and let you in. You're on your own, buddy. And so this is where they're at, like conflict has entered into the picture. And so the question is, is what do you do when there is conflict? Like how do we process it and how do we resolve it? And I would suggest to you a couple of things here today. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, don't attack the person, attack the problem. That's good advice right there. Don't attack the person, attack the problem. Because what our tendency is, is when there is conflict, our natural tendency is to begin to blame somebody else for what is going on. And a lot of times what we do is we start attacking the person, we start attacking their character. We start attacking the past. And what we're doing is we're blaming them instead of fixing the actual problem. And many times it is the simplest things in life that cause the biggest issues. Like I heard this story a long time ago about a guy that he and his wife, they, they kept having the toilet paper argument and, uh, the argument would go like this: is, is, is he would come out and find the toilet paper looking like this, and he would change it, and he'd come out frustrated and go, "I always have to change the toilet paper." Be very aware when you use extremes like "I always do things," because you know that that's not true. You're not the only one that only does those things. And a lot of times, what we do is we go to the extremes and we make it us against them, and all of a sudden we're having we're attacked the person rather than attacking the problem. And we get so ingrained in attacking the person, we forgot what we were arguing about anyways to begin with. And so he says to her, I, I always change the toilet paper. And she she bickers back, no, no, no. I change the toilet paper just as much as you do. And he goes, no, no, no. I change it all the time. you never change it. He goes, no, I change it all the time. And they fight like this over time. And they continue to have this argument over and over and over again until one day he is so frustrated. He decides, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know it, this is time to go to war. And so he goes into the bathroom and he finds the toilet paper like this and he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this cylinder. I'm going to sign it and I'm going to date it. And he goes into his closet and he puts it in a bag. And for the next year he collects every single one of these cylinders. He is preparing for war. (laughs) And eventually they get in an argument and and before long, they start slinging mud at each other and he's like, well, well you never change the toilet paper roll. And she goes, I changed the toilet paper roll just as much as you do. And he gets up from his chair, he goes into the bedroom and he grabs that bag and he walks in and he dumps out all the cylinders on the table. How many of you know he is not a smart man? So many of us, we are so focused on the battle that we are losing the war. We're so busy trying to win the argument that we miss out on actually winning the heart. And you can win the argument or you can win the heart, but you're not going to do both. And a lot of us, we're winning arguments and we're losing heart. And this is what happens when we begin to attack people instead of problems. And when we attack each other, all we're doing is is we are creating more distance, more tension, more friction in the relationship rather than actually solving the problem that's at hand. And listen, Shayla and I, we, we've had a lot of conflict in our marriage. I know that that's hard to believe because you think your pastors are supposed to be perfect. Shayla's not. <laughs> I'm not a smart man either. And listen, it's not even that we don't have the same vision for where we want to go as as a couple because we both know what we want our marriage to look like. The problem is, is that we're different people. And because we're different people, we have different ideas about how we are supposed to get to that destination. And what happens so many times is, is I have my idea and my thought. And Shayla has her idea and her thought and our goal was the same place. Just how we want to get there is different and that creates conflict because we have a difference of opinion, not a difference of where we want to end up. And the problem for so many of us is we're so busy trying to get them to see our vantage point that we never take a step back and go, hey, let me understand why you're doing what you're doing. Because if I, if I could just have some empathy in this moment and, and actually ask some questions, instead of trying to get you to understand me, I begin to try to understand you. All of a sudden I would see we're on the same page. We're just trying to get there differently. And now we can discuss it. Now we can overcome. Oh, excuse me, just swallowed a cough drop. Uh, <laughs> about killed myself right there. <laughs> Now we can overcome it and we can actually have some resolution to what the issue is rather than trying to overcome the person. And what I found is that empathy and that ability to go, hey, help me understand. What that does is that turns down the volume of the conversation, turns down the amount of the drama. All of a sudden the conflict begins to cease because I'm seeking to, understand rather than be understood. So you can win the argument or you can win the heart. Don't attack the person, attack the problem. Here's the second thought for dealing with conflict. Number two, you gotta acknowledge the hurt. You got to acknowledge the hurt. And when you look at the Song of Solomon, there is a real rift that is happening in this story. Like there is some real hurt and you get this sense that he's at the door and he's knocking and it's obvious that he's been out there for a while because his hair is drenched and he's got all this dew on him. And and she's like, I've changed and I've taken a shower and I'm not going to open the door. But you can tell that she actually wants him to stay. Like I've just learned that sometimes when a woman says leave, what she means is stay. Now, I'm not an expert on understanding women, but I've learned something about this phenomena and I'm just reporting to you what I've learned today. I remember back in the early days of our marriage, Shayla and I, we were having an argument and and she was like, you know what, you can just go. And I understand the English language. When somebody tells you just go, that means you go. So I went and grabbed my keys and I left. And I went and I ran some errands and I, I got my head clear. And I thought, man, this was the best. That was a really wise decision on Shayla's part to tell me to go. Like just, just work some things out inside of myself. I came back, I was feeling good about myself. I was like, man, she is, she is so intelligent and so wise. I'm just, I, I, and, and, and so I started learning that, that just go doesn't just mean go. Sometimes it means stay. (laughs) So I remember I'm feeling good about myself. I I get home. I'm like, babe, that was such a great idea. And I realized that when I got home that she did not have the same experience at home that I had when I left. (laughs) I came back to anger. I came back to tears. I came back to throwing stuff out. Like it was it was. was all hell broke loose in our house at that moment. And I was like, this thing has gone to a whole nother level. I didn't even know. Because she had been thinking in her mind and she had been ruminating on that, that thing. And this was my first clue in life. Just help me understand. I'm dumb that go actually means stay. Go means sit down on the couch and let's work this thing out. And I don't really know if that's what's going on here in the Song of Solomon, but immediately she has a change of heart and she gets up and she goes to the door and she opens it in verse five. It says, I jumped up to open the door for my love. My hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. So he listened and he left. He's dumb like me. It goes, my heart sank. Now that word is sank there is, is—is if you're to look it up, it, it's the same equivalent of the feeling you get when somebody you love dies. It's like, man, I'm not bummed out, but like I am devastated. And like there is some dev- devastation that's happening in this relationship. Like there is a real riff. And, and so it, I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him but there was no reply. So so she begins to frantically look for him. And it's not like today where you just go ping my phone and find somebody like she is searching. She eventually sends out people to look for him and try to find him. She is frantically looking because there is some conflict and there is some drama. And if you are going to be in a relationship with anyone, whether it's your friends, it's your family, it's your kids, it's your spouse, there will more than likely at some point in time be some hurt in the relationship relationship like hurt is going to happen and here's why because in every relationship there are always these things called expectations all of us when we enter into a relationship we have expectations we think to ourselves you know like when i'm finally with that person i will no longer feel lonely when I'm with them, we'll be doing this together. When I'm with them, there is going to be peace in our lives. And so we go into every relationship with an expectation of this is what it's going to be like. And so we all enter, whether it's a friendship, it's a marriage, it's a parent-child relationship. We have an expectation of what life is going to look like. On the flip side of that, we also have this thing called experience. Now, The difference between expectation and experiences is that we go into a relationship thinking, man, when we're together, finally, I'm going to not ever be lonely. And for some of you, what you've experienced is you're lonelier than you've ever been. You go into a relationship expecting, you know what? I'm going to live with peace in my life. And your experience has been, I have more conflict now than I've ever had. You go into a marriage, guys, with an expectation that we're gonna have sex five days a week and then your experience is. <laughs> Some of y'all are sitting next to a woman is like, don't laugh at that or you'll get none tonight too. And the problem between, between expectations and experiences is there is a gap. And in that gap, when your expectation doesn't meet your experience, what you end up with is hurt. And hurt is damaging. Not just to you, but to your relational world. Because if you don't learn to transform your pain or your hurt, here's what you'll do. You'll just transfer it. And so if you don't acknowledge that there is some hurt there, here's what a lot of us are doing. We're, We're experiencing hurt in our relational world. And we're stuffing and we're stuffing and we're stuffing and we're ignoring and we're ignoring and we're ignoring. And then we're going around and we're realizing that, oh, it seems like every job, like I have to quit because it's toxic. Every relationship I get into, that person is abusive. Everything I go into, man, there is brokenness there. And if everywhere you go, those things are happening, maybe it's not those things that are the problem, but maybe you're the problem. And what ends up happening if you don't deal with your hurt is you end up bleeding on people that never cut you. And you're spreading that hurt all over the place because you've never acknowledged what is truly happening in your Life. And I I get it. I I get that dealing with hurt is not fun. And I don't want to suggest that it's easy to do. But here's what I do know is when we begin to take things that are in the dark and we begin to bring them into the light, a lot of times what happens in our life is all of a sudden we begin to experience some freedom. And for some of us today, what we need to stop doing is we need to stop suppressing and stop stuffing. And we need to start bringing those things to the surface and sitting down with our spouse and going, Hey, I don't think you meant to do this, but when you said this or when you did this, this is how it made me feel. Or you sit down with a counselor, which is one of the wisest things you could do and go, here's what I'm going through. I need some help. And you've got to begin to acknowledge what's going on. You got to recognize that it's affecting and it's impacting every area of your life. And until you begin to deal with it, it'll, it'll keep you from moving forward. So here's the third thing. If we want to deal with conflict in a healthy way, don't attack the person, attack the problem, acknowledge the hurt. Number three, you got to seek wise counsel. You got to seek wise counsel. Have you noticed that it's natural for us when we're in difficult, conflicting moments that we automatically run to our friends? And here's what I know about our friends. Our friends very rarely give good advice. They just don't. We have a lot of yes girls in our life and we have a lot of yabros. Yeah bros. And I love yes girls and yabros. Yeah bros. Oh, you go tell your girl, oh girl, you're never gonna believe, oh my goodness, I can't believe, he did what? He said, what? You should, you should do this and this and this coming from the person that's had 87 relationships and none of them have been successful. But it's your yes girl. Bro, can you believe what she, no bro, no way. You should drop her like it's hot. Coming from the guy that's never had a relationship. He just wants you to be single because he's single. Yeah, bros and yes girls are great for friendships. They're terrible for advice. And so many times we, we, we realize that that's not the wise counsel we need. Hey, and listen, your family isn't the wise counsel you need either. Let me just tell you something. A lot of you guys, when you get into an argument, your first call is to your mom. Mom, you're never gonna believe what what he did. And you tell your mom what happened. And the problem is, is that six months later, when you go to Thanksgiving dinner, mom is throwing mashed potatoes in your husband's lap. And he's like, what's the deal? She's still upset about how you treated her daughter six months ago that you resolved 30 minutes after that argument. You just went and gave them all the beef, but you never gave the resolution. Because it's easy to talk about the problem. We don't always go back and bring the resolution so there's not problems later. And so what do we need to do? We need to find some wise counsel in our life and wise counsel, here's what wise counsel will do. Wise counsel will challenge you with some questions. And that's what this woman does here. She goes to some some women and, and they begin to ask her questions. They don't just affirm what she wants to hear. They go, no, 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 we're gonna dig down deeper. We're gonna get to the root of what's going on. We're gonna find out if this is the right relationship for you or not. Verse nine, it says, why is your lover better than all the others? A woman of rare beauty, what makes your lover so special that we must promise? They're, they're going, why and what? They're going, hey, it's not just enough to tell you what you want to hear. Let's dig down and what is the purpose of this? And she all of a sudden has a realization. My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. There's conflict, but she gets some wise counsel and she begins not to just see the issue. She sees the bigger picture rather than the momentary picture. And you and I, we need some wise counsel in our life. Well, TJ, where do we get wise counsel? I think the church is a great place. It's one of the reasons why we tell you, get into a connect group, get into a connect group, get into a connect group. It's not because we want you in a connect group. It's because we want you around some people that are pursuing God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. that will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Based on the truth of his word. And when you step into community, you'll have an opportunity to get around people that won't just be yes people or yeah bros, they'll actually challenge you. And we don't need to be yesed in conflict. We need to be challenged in conflict. Listen, seeking counsel isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. It means you're aware enough to know that I don't have all the answers to this problem. I know in the worst part of our marriage, year three of our marriage, Shayla and I, we were doing bad. And uh, I remember I went to my stepdad. My stepdad was the wisest person at that point in time that I knew. Every day when I was growing up, I saw him reading his Bible every morning. He forced me to pray with him every single morning. And I knew that while my stepdad is not perfect, he doesn't have every answer. I knew that he was godly and he would tell me the truth. And I remember going to him and telling him about all the problems Shayla had. And how God needed to fix her. (laughs) And he gave me some amazing advice. He said, TJ, you can be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. And then he asked me some questions and he said, man, if if you want to save this thing, here's what you need to do. You need to go home and have a conversation, which is exactly what I did not want to do. And I remember I took his advice and I went home, his wise counsel. And I waited for Shayla to get home. And when she got home, I sat her down. And I said, hey, I need to have a conversation. Hardest conversation I've ever had in my life. It was also the most freeing conversation because that's the day our marriage changed. Because I got some wise counsel and I heeded it and I applied it and it changed everything. So you have to seek wise counsel. Then number four, This is the biggest one. You got to forgive early and you got to forgive often. I can tell you story after story after story all the times that Shayla has had to forgive me over the last 23 years. And it's been a lot. Like I'll just tell you one. I remember one day Shayla came home. She had a bad day at her workplace at the time. And she was, she was super upset. She was crying. She was telling me how bad it was and how difficult the day was and how her boss had responded. And I, I remember I looked at her and I said, that's life, get over it. How many of y'all know that I slept on the couch that, <laughs> that night? It's a damaging moment. I asked her this morning, I said, are there any times that I hurt you really bad? She's like, yeah, that's one time. <laughs> For Shayla to be in a relationship with me, she's had to forgive early. She's had to forgive often. And I want to suggest that the person that you're in a relationship with here today, that maybe is sitting next to you, they've probably had to forgive early. They've probably had to forgive often. Because I've learned you can hold on to a grudge or you can hold on to the person. But it's very difficult to both. And a lot of us, we've chosen to hold on to grudges rather than holding on to a person. And we're wondering why we're struggling in our relational world. And it's so hard to do both. And But we've got to choose to be people that forgive early and we forgive often. And so in Song of Solomon, when they come back together, you see that forgiveness is flowing and that love is restored. And then Solomon chapter six, he goes back to one of his favorite lines. He starts writing some poetry, poetry and he says this in verse four, he says, you are beautiful, my darling, like the lovely city of Tarza. It's like, she big i don't know yes as beautiful as jerusalem like two cities as majestic as an army billowing banners i don't even know what that means and then and then he he goes in he goes for it he says turn your eyes away for they overpower me your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. I don't know what a flock of goats and hair looks like, but he's, he is spitting mad game. And then he goes to his favorite line. Here it is. Your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth matched with his twin. And man, this is, this is generational wording. He's like, babe, you have teeth <laughs> and they're white. You brush them, and check this out it's not just teeth, you have matching pairs. Come on, somebody, you look so you are fine. <laughs> Solomon has got game, it's an ancient love note, right there. Some of you are so thankful for Hallmark. But what you're seeing in this moment is a relationship that's restored. And to do that over a long period of time, you have to forgive early. And you gotta forgive often. And who sets the example for forgiveness? Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death and rose again so that you and I could experience the forgiveness and the grace in the mercy of God. And God challenges us. In fact, all throughout scripture, he challenges us to forgive others as you and I have been forgiven by God. See, forgiven people, here's what we do. We forgive people. And we grow in the understanding that to become more gracious and more kind and more loving We have to forgive because the grace of God has transformed our life. Because when we forgive, we're not just releasing that person, we're releasing the burden that's on us. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that an action didn't occur. Forgiveness doesn't mean that trust is restored. Forgiveness doesn't mean that What they did was okay, but forgiveness means that I'm letting go of my perceived right to get even. I'm not gonna hold this over this person's head for the rest of their life and lash out to them. What I'm gonna do is that I'm gonna take that burden, I'm gonna take that, that bitterness and I'm gonna turn that over to God and I'm gonna release it to him as many times as I need to release it to make sure that I'm not walking in it for the rest of my life. And for some of our most important relationships, I believe that there is a lack of forgiveness and that lack of forgiveness is the biggest barrier to our relationships being healed and whole and restored in life. And listen, I know that this is easy to say, but it's hard to do. And what that means is that you might have to go before God on a daily basis and go, God, I forgive them and lay that thing at his feet. And you might find out throughout the day, you might have picked that thing back up and you're going to go back to God and go, God, I lay this back at your feet. I choose to forgive and I'm going to continue to choose to forgive until I'm not picking up that burden any longer. In the back of my Bible, I keep a, a picture of Shayla and I. I'll show you this picture. I think they're actually going to show it up on the screen for you. We're just little kids. This is actually the night that we got engaged, Thanksgiving of '99. And I look at this picture. And I'm like, dang, Shayla hasn't aged a bit. Your boy, though, has lost all of his hair. <laughs> and put on a few pounds. But when I look at this picture, what, is I, what I see is a couple that was so innocent. Because at this point in our relationship, we believed that we would never have conflict, that we would never argue, that we would never have difficult moments. Boy, were we naive. But what I also see in this picture is two people that weren't holding on to anything. And so every time there's conflict, every time that there's issues, every time that there is trouble, I remember I want to get to a place of innocence where I see her the way I saw her that day. And the only reason we have conflict typically is because I became selfish and God hasn't called me to live selfishly he's called me to live selflessly and what's the greatest way that I can live selflessly is that I can forgive early and I can forgive often so I can stay pure so I can stay whole so I can be the man in that picture just like I want her to be the woman in that picture and some of us today we've been attacking the person instead of attacking the problem it's time to change our perspective it's time for us to begin to acknowledge the hurts that's going on and seek some wise counsel and as we're seeking that wise counsel come before the Lord our God and choose to forgive early forgive often so we can experience all that God has for our lives when it comes to our relational world. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're out there today. And you're going, TJ, that's, that's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. And I, I would say this, it's very difficult to do. To forgive others and forgive early and forgive often if you've never experienced forgiveness yourself. If you've never experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of our heavenly Father that so freely gave that when He saw us in the middle of our conflict, our conflict was our sin and our shame, our pain. He didn't He didn't just go, "Man, that sucks to be them." He said, "No, no, no. There, I, I'm going to get a way where there is no way." And He gave the greatest gift, the gift of His Son Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to live that way any longer. But we could actually experience the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our scruples, the forgiveness of our past, the forgiveness of our shame. so we could have life to the full. And maybe today, for the first time or the first time in a long time, you experience the gift that God gave His Son, Jesus Christ. And it begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender. Surrendering your will and your way to God who says that anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can have a change of what's going on on the inside so it can begin to change what's going on on the outside. If that's you in here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just slip your hand up at the count of three, I'd love to pray a simple yet significant area with you that changes everything for everyone. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip those hands up. Slip them up, slip them up. Yes, I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Yes, I see you right here. Thank you. for. Who else? Who else? Five, I see you back there. I see you back there up top. Six, I see you up there. Seven, eight. Who else? Even if, don't you? I see you, ma'am, there in the center. Nine, 10, 11. People all over the place. If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you for your incredible gift, forgiveness that comes through your son, Jesus. Thank you for paying the ultimate price, the price of my sin and shame on the cross of Calvary. I ask you to forgive me of my past, change my present, and secure my future. God, I surrender my will and I surrender my way. Come into my heart and take over my life. And I just ask you to be my savior, but to be my Lord. Forgive me so that I can forgive others. Change me so that I can change others. God, we love you in this place. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said,